We will get there. I just have to start at the beginning, don't I? Uh, you're saying, how many pages has that guy got? We'll be here forever. He wants to get through all those pages. Oh, he won't stop. There we go. Oh, I missed one. I got it. I think it's right for us to assume that all of us at one time or another have likely found ourselves to have fallen into a spiritual hole. And it's a hole that we seem that we cannot escape from. We can't climb out of it. We can't jump out of it. We just get stuck in this spiritual hole. We stop eventually trying to jump out or crawl our way up the sides. We give up hope and instead embrace despair and pity. Our focus turns from thriving in life to simply trying to survive life to expectantly and statically just waiting for it to come to an end, that all of this would just come to an end. Our lungs are still breathing, our heart still beats, the sun continues to shine. Children laugh, but within we feel like that popular TV show now, The Living Dead. We feel like there's nothing left in us. Our heart continues to pump blood. Our heart continues to move forward, but it no longer pumps vitality or hope or dreams or ambitions. Like the lady in the famous 80s movie, for those of you who are old enough to remember, when she said, we've fallen and we can't get up. Other times, we are not the one in the hole, but the potential rescuer of the one in the hole. We go by, we look in, and we say to ourselves, well, there's not much I can do because after all, I, I'm in worse condition than you are. Or perhaps we think, well, maybe you deserve to be in the hole and, and it's meant for you to be that way for now. Sometimes we try to help, but we fail. Won't we ask, we ask ourselves, won't we just make it worse and give them false hope? This person already obviously has enough problems. What if in trying to help, I intentionally offend him or her? Well, I better get my slides out. I think I have them here. Oh, I got the first one. I always forget this thing. There's the hole. Let me put it to you this way. An out-of-towner accidentally drives his car into a deep ditch on the side of the country road. Luckily, a farmer happened to come along with a big old horse named Benny. The man asked for help. The farmer said Benny could pull that car out without, with ease. So he backed Benny up and hooked him to the, man's, to the car's bumper. Then he yelled, pull, Nellie, pull. Benny didn't move. Then he yelled, come on, Ranger, pull. Benny didn't move. 
Then he yelled rather loudly, Now pull, Fred, pull! Benny just stood there. Then the farmer nonchalantly said, Okay, Benny, pull. Benny pulled the car out of the ditch with ease. The man was very appreciative, but curious. He asked the farmer why he called his horse by the wrong name three times. The farmer said, that's easy. You see, Benny is blind. If he thought he was the only one pulling, he wouldn't even try. Friends, whether we are the one in the whole or the one gazing upon the one in the whole, we need Jesus to defibrillate or electrify our hearts. We need hearts of revival. We read last week many times this passage of Scripture. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sins, and will heal their land. The last few weeks we've been speaking about revival with the bidding of a cry for revival. And last week we talked about the obstacles that get in the way of revival. They get in the way of our hearts being revived. I, I want to say here, because I've had some requests uh, from a few people, they said, Pastor, can you put your points on a piece of paper because I don't have time to write everything down. And so if you're one of those, uh, just put a little note in my box and I'll see that you get them. We turn to, to trying to hurdle the articles in our willingness. God says if we humble ourselves. This morning, we will learn to do this. How can we, and how can we prepare our hearts to be ready for revival? There are three important things, I think, that we need to look at this morning. If we're going to have hearts that are ready for God to revive us, to pull us out of any spiritual hole we're in, to pull us out of any depression that we might find ourselves. I know this to be true, both because the Bible tells me so and also because I have lived it and I have lived in that hole. I too have gone through times of giving up. I too have tried all the things that don't help. And I too have experienced the joy of new life of being delivered from my hole, thanks to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Some, but not all of you, know that I struggle with a few health issues that will remain with me as long as I inhabit this body. One of those is fibromyalgia, a common and natural side effect when myalgia hits is to almost reach a point of clinical depression. You're in a huge hole and you can't get out. Anyone who's ever dealt with this themselves or has a loved one will understand how dark and dank the hole can become. Those who haven't truly may not have any idea. I say to you, it's not something that I choose to dwell on and talk much about. I'm still far more blessed than cursed in my life. I mention it now because I want you to know I understand what it's like. I am intimately familiar with that hole. I am also equally intimately familiar with Jesus lifting me out of that hole and bringing me to a place of joy. 
Friends, when I talk about revival, I want you to know I'm not just sprouting theory, principles, or cliché. I myself need, by the grace of Jesus, to experience revival on a regular basis. Yet I also know all too well that it doesn't ever happen on its own. Before it can be experienced, there, must, there is much I must do to prepare my heart. There is much we must do to prepare our hearts. And I have captured my thoughts with three biblical truths. First one being, pray. Again, I assure you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray, for it will be done for you by my Father in heaven, says Matthew. Now this is the confidence we have before him. Whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The question we ask ourselves, what can we learn from these two simple verses of Scripture about prayer? The kind of prayer that brings revival. Not just words, but prayer that changes our lives. First, let me say we need to fill our hearts with constant prayer. We need to fill our hearts with constant prayer. Pastor and author Max Lucado writes in his book, Turn, does any other spiritual gift, and he's speaking about prayer, does any other spiritual activity promise such fruit? Does Jesus call us to preach without ceasing or teach without ceasing or have some committee meetings without ceasing or sing without ceasing? No, but he does say to pray without ceasing. Did Jesus say my house is called a house of study, a house of fellowship, a house of music, a house of expo exposition or preaching, a house of activities or a house of political activists? No. My house will be called a house of prayer. God is not moved by men or women of standing, but by when men or women on their knees. We must fill our hearts. We must be in constant prayer. He is moved by the humble prayer for heart of his children. As we read, the Lord will hear your crying and he will comfort you, and he hears you. He will help you, says Isaiah. But what do we fill our hearts with? Our, our, our prayers constant. What does that mean? Does that mean that we should be in some pious position all the time? That we should find that room in our lives or in our workplaces where we go and hide ourselves and pray? That's not what constant prayer is. Constant prayer is an attitude of always recognizing that Jesus is right beside you. That Jesus is walking with you. That Jesus is living with you. And he wants to commune with you exactly where you are. The lost art of the church is what I call conversational prayer with Jesus. Where you're constantly talking with him and you're constantly listening for him to reply. You, many of you know I'm a truck driver. I love to drive them big trucks. It makes me feel like a real man. I'm learning that I'm really I'm a redneck. I'm a preaching redneck because I like them man things. 
I like Stampede Week when I wear my cowboy hat, my cowboy boots. But you know, everywhere I go, I am learning more and more every day to always be talking to God. When I'm in my truck, my steering wheel is Jesus to me. I got my hands on the steering wheel and I don't let go. Because if I do, that truck is going to go not where I want it to go. But also, I talk to my steering wheel. When I do itinerant preaching, and I'm not here every, in a church like I am now every week, I do my preparation for my sermons while I'm driving my truck. I tell you, the steering wheel of my truck has been saved so many times because I'm communing with God. I want to have constant prayer with Him. But secondly, we need to also understand that God wants to search our hearts. We need to pray for God to search our hearts. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and, I, and know my concerns. See if there be any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting right life, the psalmist says. Notice how personal this cry is. How it, in just these two verses, David uses the terms me and my six times. If any of us to have a heart for revival, it is essential that we know and confess all of the wrongdoings that are buried in the depths of our life. We need to understand our friends or our loved ones are not able to do the searching. For they might be unsympathetic, unkind, or cruel, nor is their knowledge perfect. God does not say that we are to search our own hearts, for we would excuse our sins and failures, or even conceal them from ourselves unconsciously. But God says, by His Spirit and through His Word, He will do the searching. Notice who is to do the searching. In other words, we need to see the Holy Spirit as a flashlight. We need to see the Holy Spirit as a lamp that penetrates into our inner being, into our inner essence, and begins to examine every single room, every single crevasse, every corner of our lives. And we do that by humbling ourselves and opening ourselves to the true statement, Jesus, seek me, search me, and let me know the ways that I need to change. We need to search our inner lives, our homes and our, and our, our houses, our social lives. Let me read for you if I can. I don't have it on the overhead, but let me read Psalm 51 or portions of it for you. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And he goes on to say, Restore to me the joy of my salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be covered or converted to you. But if you want a New Testament example, look at 1 John. 
beginning at verse 8. I'll take my glasses off now. If, you, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We all know that passage. We often quote it to ourselves. But we miss the next verse. Let me read it to you slowly. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. If we say we have no sin, we make Jesus out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. The second thing is that we need to allow God to search our heart. But let me go on to the second point. Not only do we need to be people of prayer, but we need to seek God's face. Isaiah 55, 6, and again, I don't have them up there. I have the, ver- the, the passages. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Lamentations. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. In Jeremiah, we read this morning, for I know the plans I have for you, the, Lord's de- the Lord declares, plans for your welfare and for, and for disaster, to give you a future and hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me. Here the key word is, my beloved, is the word seek. The Bible tells us to seek God's face, to seek his face. What does it really mean to seek God's face? Think about it. Think about it. What does it mean to seek or study someone's face? What are you really looking for in that quiet exchange? Whether a lover gazes unto his beloved, a child looks into the face of a mother, a subordinate studying the expressions of his boss. What are you looking for? Max Licato says, God's face awaits our study. What makes him smile? What furls his brow or sparkles his eyes? When do his lips purse or eyes water? I said to the children this morning, I don't know how many times I sit in my big chair at home and Missy jumps in my arms and now she knows exactly how to cradle herself. Or my dog sits, Bailey sits at my feet, and for hours they will stare at my face, seeking, seeking things from my face. Well, how do we, how do we seek the face of an invisible God? How do we do that? There is not my Bailey, but he's one like him. We seek his face because the scriptures point to him. We read his letter. We read the Bible because, as Jesus said, the scriptures point to me. Those who want to seek God's face better have this close at hand because in here, all of the pages of this book, there is God's face. 
It shines bright and it, sh- and, it, and it cries loud. And you can look in this book and you can stare at it and see God's face. Seek God's face. This is becoming a lost book in the Christian community. It's sitting dusty on the shelves. And we wonder, where is God? Where is he in my life? Why am I going? Why am I in this deep hole? I can't get out. We need to seek God's face. I'm sure many of you remember the story that famous story of the mutiny on the bounty. Maybe you even saw the movie. There's about six or seven movies made. In the spring of 1789, in response to the, cruel, the cruelty of the infamous Captain Bly, the mutinous sailors physically took control of the ship, exiled Bly and, and those faithful to him to a dinghy to float endlessly on the sea, and then they themselves settled on a tiny two-square-mile rock in the South Pacific known as Pitcairn Island. Knowing that they could never return or be found by civilization without the risk of being hanged for their mutinous decisions, they settled on this tropical island, burned the ship, took Tahitian wives, and made what they anticipated would be their own paradise. There was only one problem with their plan. You see, they were sailors who mutinied because they could not stand anyone else setting standards or making any decisions for their lives. They valued only selfish individualism and self-pleasing desires. They established a community with no standards, no morals, and no laws. The filthy, obscene community marked by adultery, violence, and drunkenness. After a decade of this, the natives could endure it no longer, and they attacked the mutineers, killing every one of them, save one by the name of Alexander Smith. Smith stumbled upon and read the Bible that he found that the crew members at one time salvaged from the bounty, but obviously put aside. And after reading the Bible, he wrote this. When I came to the life of Jesus, my heart began to open like doors swinging apart. Once I was sure that God was a loving and merciful Father to them who repented, it seemed to me I could feel his very presence, and I grew more sure every day of his guiding hand. The story didn't end there. Smith's story did not end there. And in, in, in a few years later, in 1808, when the British came to that island, what did they find there? They found an island of organization, of peace, and tranquility. Why? Because after Joseph Smith found what he, the Bible and realized what it was, he taught it to the natives. And they, too, became believers and followers arrived by Christ. Seek God's face. Steve Farr, in his book, Point Man, says this, I need God's commentary on my life every day. Christians in this society are swimming upstream. 
without the constant nutrition, without the constant nutrition, where am I here? Okay. Without the constant nutrition of the word, he will soon tire and be dragged off by the sheer force of the current. We need to pray and we need to seek God's face if we want revival. Seek it. And finally, we come to the third one. Pray, seek God's face, and turn from our wicked ways. This is our purpose. This is our purpose when we discover through the Spirit-led prayer and seeking God's face, we need to turn from the things he points out. This is where we often stop. We often stop our pursuit for revival here and instead make our home in the dark hole of our lives and circumstances. Nehemiah says this, those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all foreigners and they stood and confessed their sins and the guilt of their fathers. While they stood in their places, they read from the book of the law, the Bible of the Lord their God for a fourth of the day and spent another fourth of the day in confession and worship of the Lord their God. The psalmist David says, You do not want sacrifice, or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart. God will not despise you when you truly cry out to him. He will not despise you as he unveils in your heart the things that are going wrong in your life or the things that you're doing wrong, both omission, what we should do and we don't do, what we shouldn't do and we should do. God will not despise you. He will begin to answer your cry. Let me conclude it for this way. Seek his face, pray, turn from our wicked ways. Consider how these truths are illustrated by the lesson of an oil lamp. How many of us long-in-the-tooth people can remember the oil lamps? We can. The young people, what is that? Well, that's a picture of it. That's a picture of an old oil lamp. In many of our houses at our age, that's all we had for light was oil lamps. So you'll be familiar with this. Consider how these truths are illustrated by the lesson of the oil lamp. In an oil lamp, the light is kept by a wick. When the wick burns low, the light will eventually go out and the wick will turn black. Do we just throw the lamp away and replace it with a new one? Do we give up and use it as a non-working decoration? Do we curse it and throw it against the wall? Maybe. Would any of those ideas be wise or useful? Of course not. Rather, the wise and useful thing would be to trim the lamp so that it may be used again to the height of its ability. So what does that mean in our spiritual lives? How do we trim our spiritual lamp? Let me give you four quick things in concluding. First, you need to recognize and confirm that the problem is indeed the burnt-out wick. You need to recognize and agree that the problem is you. 
Not anything else around you, not any surrounding circumstances, but the problem is you. And your wick is changed from white to black. Second, one needs to pull the wick up, cut off the black section, and leave a new clean extension of wick. We remember doing that. We need to do the same thing. We need to pull out the wick of our lives. We need to pull out the things that are causing us to be dark and black, and we need to cut it off. David says we need to separate ourselves from those things. And thirdly, to reclaim full effect, the globe of the lamp needs to be thoroughly cleaned and shined from all the burnt-off carbon that has clung to it. Confession is how we clean the globe of our lives. We agree with God and what he has pointed out to us, and we ask him to forgive us and lead us forward, and it cleans the globe of our lives. And we must supply the oil and replenish it. We call that revival, being refreshed. Finally, only after all that has been done, the wick can be relit, and the lamp will again vibrantly fill the room with light. When we go through these steps sincerely, the light of Jesus will begin to shine through you in a way that you won't even know. Because you've recognized where you are in the lamp scenario. Where are you, my beloved friends? Where are you in your spiritual lamp? How is your spiritual wick? Are you shining brightly for Jesus? Where do you see yourself as the lamp? With a wick of purity and supply of oil of the Holy Spirit? What condition are you in? Is your wick white or is it black? Is your oil supply abundant or lacking? Is it unclean and sparse? Is your light shining brightly for Jesus? Or is it struggling just to stay lit? Where are you, my friends? Revival I see somebody took my red circle off, and now I can see why, because it's staining the rug. Where are you? You see, we think revival is for everyone else, not for me. But revival starts with one. It never starts in a crowd. The one becomes a crowd. You can't go into a church and just sit there and say, I'm going to be revived because I'm here at church. You have to want to pray for it and seek God's face and then turn from the very things he's talking about. And when you do, your light will shine. Your light will shine. You won't have to go around trying to find ways to talk about Jesus. You will become the Visible Jesus. Oh, my brothers and sisters, I'm going to miss you. 
because I know that God has been moving in your midst in this last year like perhaps he hasn't done for years. And he's got so special things providing down the wing for you. I believe with all my heart I will come back and visit you down the road and this place will be filled because revival is happening and it's happening with individuals one at a time. And I envy you. I envy Pastor Ken because he's going to bring something with him and the seeds are going to be planted and God is going to do a mighty work. But it begins one at a time. I'm going to ask our worship team to come and join me this morning as we close. And they're going to sing a song called The Cry of My Heart. I want you to stay seated while we begin to sing the song. And if God is speaking to you, if God's Holy Spirit, if the oil of the lamp, Jesus Christ, if the oil of the lamb is speaking to you, and saying, have you heard me? Have you heard me? And you want to start that step of revival. As we're singing the song, I want you to stand up. I know some of you are saying, oh, when are we going to get rid of that evangelist anyway? Well, because I think public decision is power. Private decision is not so strong. So as we sing it, let God speak to you. Just want to pray before we sing. Jesus, I want to pray for our hearts here. Pray for the revival that Pastor Gary's talking about. And as we focus on your cross and the gift that happened there, every day that we focus on that, that's where our power and motivation comes to pray and to seek your face and to change our ways hear our cry come into our hearts and take over our hearts we worship you Jesus there's a scripture that just popped up on my phone today so fitting I love how God does this it says from Psalm 63 oh God you are my God earnestly I seek you my soul thirsts for you my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water There's a cry in my heart For your glory to fall For your presence to fill up my senses There's a yearning I get A thirst for discipline A hunger for things that are deeper Could you take me beyond could you carry me through? If I open my heart, could I go there with you? For I've been here before, but I know there's still more. Oh Lord, 
There's a yearning I get, a thirst for discipline, a hunger for things that are deeper. Could you take me beyond? Could you carry me through? If I open my heart, could I go there with you? For I've been here before. But I know there's still more, oh Lord, I need to know you. For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory, you are the lifter of my head. For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock, you are my glory. You are the lifter of my head, lifter of this head. Go now, founded on the rock. And know that God has heard your cry. Continue to pray consistently. Continue to seek his face and respond to that warm voice that directs the cleansing of your life. Now go in the peace of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen.